you're, um, if you're new to Wednesday nights, let me say that what we've done for the first five weeks of this semester is try to introduce the whole subject of assurance to address some of the issues that are um, associated with it. And my hope is, is um, I've been hoping to, to free you from some of the um, fears that a, um, that a sinful life generates. Uh, your life, my life, um, they're, they're, they're sinful and so because they are, they generate this, this set of fears that uh, help or lead us to question our own standing with God. And so I'm trying to address some of those. And this is the, the fifth and final installment of that subject. I want to start tonight by simply um, reminding you, at least, I, I think reminding is the right word, uh, explaining to you of the, the existence of the possibility of having false assurance, or it, that's probably poorly said, that, that false assurance is a possibility. Uh, you find that a couple of, or several times in the Bible. Uh, you know, the, the, the most obvious is Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not do this? Did we not do the other? And I will say to them. But here, that was a group of people. It's describing a group of people who are, were very convinced that their soul was safe when in fact it was not. Uh, you find this same, this same theme in the book of Jeremiah where the prophets and the priests were preaching to the people of Israel. Peace, peace, and Jeremiah would say, and there is no peace. So here's a, another group of people who had peace but had no right to that peace. So, so what we have to do is expose that which is false and uh, establish that which is real. We have to, to uninstall that which is false and reinstall that which is true, and that's what we're going to try to do tonight. Uh, I hope to give you enough evidences tonight for for you so that even though um, you've understood everything that you've heard, you, you still struggle. Yeah, I believe those promises, but I'm not sure I can have them for myself. I'm hoping that we can um, eliminate some of that tonight. <clears throat> so let's first talk about the differences between the true assurance and <clears throat> false assurance or something that really goes under the name of presumption, uh, <clears throat> presuming that all is well when it is not. So let's talk first about what does true assurance look like? Well, here are some of the features or some of the characteristics of, of true assurance. First of all, um, <clears throat> those with true assurance highly value spiritual things. Um, things like God's smile, God's honor, God's glory, truth. Um, those things are valuable to people with true assurance. They, they want to see those things promoted and, and, um, and they want to enjoy the smile of God. Those things are important to them. Far more important than, than how their 401ks are doing. And, and, and I'm not saying that 401ks are evil, ladies and gentlemen, not at all. But in terms of priority, it's, it's more important for, for me um, that, spiritual thing, that spiritual life is being nurtured than, than, my, than, my, than my monetary security being um, advanced. They value spiritual things. Um, people with true assurance are, are struck with the, with the, with the question, um, Lord, who am I? that I should have been swept up into your kingdom. There's a sense of awe over the fact that they are indeed 
um, children of God. They're, they're, they, they wonder about how in the world um, could I be included? It's an it's a amazement that, that, that I am a part of this thing. And thirdly, <clears throat> they want more. Um, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They, they know some righteousness, but they want more of it. They know some spirituality, but they, they, they want more of it. They know truth, but they want more of it. They, um, they want things that are, um, that are generally uh, nourishing to the soul. I, I, I've got this, but I want more of that um, because of my interest and love for holy things. And it is those people, ladies and gentlemen, that are the ones usually assaulted by, the, by Satan. Uh, they're the ones that are, um, that are usually the, uh, the, the targets for his, for his devices. Let me show you something that I think is just so interesting. If you'll go to, well, you don't need to go. Um, this is in Matthew chapter 3. Je- uh, Jesus has just been baptized. And the last statement of John 3 is, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, guys, here's the point. Jesus has been baptized, and this voice from heaven has said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, notice immediately how chapter 4 starts. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the first thing that is... um, um, that, that Jesus is confronted with is, if thou be the son of God, well, he was just told that he was the son of God. He was just told that he was, um, was approved above heaven. And then immediately on the heels of being told that I'm approved by God, what happens? Satan enters in. Satan shows up. Um, it is usually those people with the true assurance who are the ones who were assaulted by the evil one. Guys, the great enemy of our souls is called the father of lies for a reason. He, he loves to flatter the soul. He loves to, to flatter people wrongly, but then assault people who are rightly associated with the things of God. Um, gang, um, you remember when, when Israel went into Egypt, when they went into bondage, as long as they were in bondage, Nobody bothered them. I mean, except in terms of the Egyptians bothered them, but there was no real um, national determination to to, to eliminate them. But once they get set free from that bondage, all hell breaks loose. Um, Once you got set free from your bondage, all hell breaks loose. Guys, I like to say this, but I hope you won't put too much stock in this next sentence. But in, in, a, in a large measure, this is, this is very true. The only people who are wrestling with assurance are the ones who've got the real thing. We're the only ones for whom it really matters. The non-Christian doesn't give a flip about their assurance. They're, they're far more interested in their insurance than they are their assurance. The ones, th- those of you, when people are really struggling with this, the first thing that I want to say to them is, listen, the only people who are struggling with assurance are the real thing. So if you're struggling, let me, I I don't want you to make that ironclad, but in general, the people who struggle with assurance are the ones who who are real because they're being assaulted by this father of lies who, who loves to trip you up. <clears throat> Satan leaves his own 
prisoners. He leaves them alone. It's you that he bothers. Um, and, and another characteristic of those with, the, with true assurance, if you ever lose it, it is of great distress to your soul because you so value these things. If you are struggling to regain your footing spiritually, that's a good sign, ladies and gentlemen. That's a sign that you're real. Because these things are valuable to me. We know that, that there's a sense in which assurance is manna to the soul. And I don't want to ever lose it. And once it is forfeited, for whatever reason, there is um, there's great turmoil within to, to get it back. <clears throat> um, gang, um, another characteristic of the true, and, I, and I've, I've already, so I'm not going to spend much time on this. Um, um, another characteristic of the true is that it's fruitful. You know, the, in, in episode number one, I gave you this, this um, illustration, this J.C. Rowell illustration about the two 10-acre plots uh, side by side that were exactly alike. And that um, uh, the, the guy that owned this one never was really sure that it was his and so he spent all of his time down to the deed office and he kept examining all of the, the, the paperwork to make sure that it was really his. While this other guy, uh, he was just working his like crazy and planting and weeding and watering and yada, yada, yada. So when it came to harvest time, guess who had the most fruit? This guy. This guy who knew that this was his. This guy who was not certain that it was his produced nothing. One of the characteristics, ladies and gentlemen, of, um, of the true thing is that it's fruitful. Um, it bears considerable fruit, and we'll talk about some evidence of those in just a second. Um, another characteristic of the true is that it makes one um, very alert to their sin. You know, guys, l- let me read you this. This is, um, this is a great statement. This is in First John, if I can find it real quick. First John chapter three, um, John says this, <clears throat> sorry, um, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Here it is. And everyone who has this hope, this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you have got this hope that indeed I am his, one of, the, one of the features, one of the characteristics of you is that you are eager. You are very alert to your sin and that you are, you are on a pursuit of purifying yourself from it. So let, let me just mention, trying to summarize what I've said. Here's some evidences, kind of a list of evidences of the, um, and I'm just, I'm just trying to use things that you would relate to. Um, people with true assurance, the real thing, they're trusting in Christ, they're obeying God, there's a certain growth in holiness, there's certain fruit of the Spirit, there's love to other Christians, they, are, they have a positive influence on other people, um, they hold soundly to, or they hold firmly to sound New Testament doctrine, um, those are some of the evidences, guys. If those things are, are 
in, in measure, not perfectly, but in measure true of you. I trust in Christ. There's an obedience that, it, that I love. There's a, a certain growth that I see. There's a production of fruit. I, there's a love for other believers. There's a positive influence that, that I'm having on other people. And you hold to something that is sound New Testament doctrine. That's because it's very likely that you have the real thing, the, the true thing. Now, in terms of the false, um, let, me, let me describe for you someone who probably has false assurance. First of all, they never question it. What's the big deal? Um, I mean, of course I've got it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just never, it's never examined. Um, secondly, it comes all too quickly. Um, it came all too easily, all too fast. Thirdly, um, it is without any kind of intelligent grounds. That is, it has no gospel base to it. They can tell you that God is love and that's just about it. But they can give you no intelligent grounds on which they fix their hope. It's shallow. It shows little interest in holy living. And the thing that I see in so many, and, 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 and very frankly, when I see this one, I usually see the, the first two. Sin is a trifle to them. And so they never have any questions. They come to it all too quickly. It's very shallow. And sin is no big deal. You know, guys, um, I had a woman come up to me last Wednesday night. A fine woman. Struggling. And she says, I understand all that you're saying, but I still can't get there. Well, guys, let me give you um, kind of a no-nonsense criterion. It's from the Apostle Paul out of Romans chapter 7. I think it's verse 15 where he says, The good that I would, I do not do. But the very evil I hate, that's what I do. Yada, yada, yada. You've heard the text. But did you get it? The good that I would, I do not do. It really bugs me that I really want to do better and I don't do better. But the very evil I hate. You hate your sin? Even though you're doing it? Does it bug you that you're doing that stuff still? Do you hate it? That's because, ladies and gentlemen, you're the real thing. Those with false assurance, sin is a trifle. It's no big deal. But for us, sin is a big deal. Whether it's a small thing, you know, I kicked the dog, or whether I um, looked at porn, it, it's all, they're all big. When I lose my temper, that's, that's a grief to me that I still have such untamed flesh in me. But for those with the false, sin is just not a big deal. But for the true, it is. The very evil I hate. I hate my sin. Um, that, that's the that, that's a feature of the true. Now, guys, if God, in His kindness, has granted you assurance, then first of all, um, I hope you're grateful for it, because it is. I'm not saying it's the pearl of great price, but it is a pearl of great price. 
And um, it's, it's a very valuable commodity that I am settled about who I am in Jesus Christ. Um, now, I want to read you a sentence. And then I want you to think about it a second, then I'll answer. Do you agree with the following sentence? The more holy any man is, the more God loves him. Do you agree with that sentence? I don't need anything from you. Do you agree with that sentence? The more holy any man is, the more God loves him. Do you agree with that sentence? Well, before you dismiss it, and very frankly, those of you who are, who are very familiar with the gospel of free grace, you would say, no, I don't agree with that sentence. And I would agree with you. Um, because I'm in Christ, there's, there's nothing that I can do to make him love me more, nothing I can do to make him love me less. But ladies and gentlemen, I can say this. If you understand that, that, that holiness, holy living, is simply God stamped and printed on the soul, then one can say at least this much, the more holy I am, the more I sense the love of God, the more I enjoy God. Um, I'm not saying that holy living increases his love, but it increases your enjoyment of it. It increases your sense of it. It increases your awareness that indeed you are the object of his love. So holiness becomes, um, of, uh, it's a value for a lot of reasons, but there's another one. Because it, it's, it's, um, it's a holy life that allows me to enjoy. You know, guys, if you do a bad thing, I can tell you, if you're a saved man or woman here tonight, if you do a bad thing, you're not going to get kicked out of the kingdom. But your sense of God's love for you, it's going to take a hit. Um, maybe a big hit. I don't know. Now, let me do um, three final things, and, I, and I'm done. Um... If you are one who is still thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jimmy, and I understand what you're saying, but I just don't seem to be able to get through to the place of where I sense I'm safe. I have, I have three things for you that I'm telling you in my own dark night of my soul, the two things that I'm about to tell you are the two things that got me through it and moved me through the dark night of the soul. Here's the first one. You're still struggling. Well, I'm not sure. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I kind of have all blood. And I kind of hate my sin, but you know, I'm not sure. I'm not still. Let me ask you this. Do you love this book? I'm not saying do you know it. I'm not saying do you have... Uh, the book of Jeremiah outlined. I'm not saying, do you know the, the, the biblical facts about the Dead Sea? I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you love this book? Then ladies and gentlemen, where do you think you got that? Where did that love of this book come from? That is God the Holy Spirit giving you an interest in the book that he wrote.
Um, let me just tell you this, and I, I've said this to you a lot. That's not an original thought. I'm not that smart. Um, when Susie and I left Ocala, Florida, I mean, it was a, it was a bad time in our lives. I mean, much better than in mine than in hers. But I mean, she was on the boat with me. So, you know, we were all drowning. Um, but I've said this with some degree of smile on my face, but it's the, it's the gospel truth. God put me back together again on the third floor of Central Church uh, in a broom closet where I was allowed to do nothing but study. And I studied Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 with Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is a copy of four pages of, of one of his commentaries. Can you see how they're yellowed? Well, that's because I've had them since at least 1987 or so. And I return to them from time to time. I want to read you the text that he's commenting on. It's, um, it's Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> and it's beginning at verse 5. And um, it, it goes through, but we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But this is verse 5. This is Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, what he's doing there is comparing and contrasting a non-Christian mindset with a Christian mindset. And he says that the, um, um, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things according to the flesh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what do you set your minds on? Is it always going to be some kind of scheme that you can make more money? Then I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you got, you got some real fears. And you should have some real concerns about your soul. If that's the only thing that, you, that, 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 that occupies your thinking. Because he goes on to say, <coughs> pardon me. Um, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, listen to what Lloyd-Jones says. What I'm really saying is that the man who sets his mind on the things of the Spirit, in other words, the Bible is his book. Here is his interest. Here is his life. He wants to know it. He wants to understand it. Let me repeat. He wants to do it in the right way. Certain people seem to be able to gallop through the, Bi- the book of the Bible in one night. That is not studying the Bible in a spiritual manner. It is not just a matter of headings and classifications and divisions. It is the spiritual content that matters. God's mind as revealed in the scriptures. Do you desire that? Well, but, but Jimmy, I don't desire it perfectly. I didn't ask that. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't do anything perfectly. None of You don't believe perfectly. You didn't repent perfectly. And if, if there was such a stipulation that we must believe perfectly, we're all doomed. I'm asking you, 
underneath everything, does this book excite you? Is it something you want to know? Then you're real. Because you only get that from God the Holy Spirit who's dwelling inside you. You know, in the midst of my own dark night of the soul, I could, I could, say, I could say at least this. I love this book. And you know what? <clears throat> I hope this doesn't sound too self-serving. But I think most, one of the reasons that most of you come to Gracie Van is because you love this book. Um, I'm not saying we teach it perfectly. I'm just saying we make a lot of it around here, do we not? In every, in every podium in every classroom, in every lectern, in every pulpit. And because you love it, that's why you decided this is where I'm going to be. Do you love this book? Then I would say to you, as the physician of your soul, you're okay. Breathe deeply. (laughs) And let me give you another one. This is another thing. And by the way, that one wasn't original. This one is. Do you know what Matthew 25 is all about? <clears throat> Matthew 25 is that great passage, the sheep and the goats. Um, you know, um, uh, I was hungry and you fed me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was thirsty and you gave me to drink and I was in prison. And you... <clears throat> that, that whole passage there, it's about the sheep and the goats. You know, and he says to the ones on the left, or to the right, come into there and hurdle here. And then he turns to the goats and he says, you know, be gone. You know that passage. It's Matthew 25. You can read it later on tonight. All right, so in your mind's eye for a moment, think about this. Think about that, that, that setting. Mountain, goats, sheep, God, judgment seat. You know, it's all happening. It's all unfolding. I'm not saying it's going to happen like that, but that's what the passage is about. Now, theologically, based on what you understand about truth, what makes somebody a sheep instead of a goat? Well, I think we could all agree that the thing that makes somebody a sheep and not a goat is that they're a believer. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Nah, believers are sheep and, and uh, non-believers are goats. The thing that makes the distinction in that great day of a size is, am I a believer or am I not a believer? Okay, there you stand. It's your turn. You step up before God. Now, let me ask you this, my friend. Would God be truthful if he called you an unbeliever? Would that be the truth? Well, no, Jimmy, you know, I I don't believe perfectly, but you know, but I am a believer. That's my point. If God could not call you an unbeliever there, then what would that make you? It would make you a sheep. 
Ladies and gentlemen, again, I say you, somebody said it, I think, uh, I think it was Kyle Jacobson. He said, you know, we welcome you visitors. Uh, I just want you to know you didn't come to a perfect church. Uh, we don't have perfect people and we don't have perfect pastors. And that was the only part of his statement that I didn't like. Um, I knew you weren't perfect, but I thought I was, you know, um, but uh, you know, guys, no, 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 no. You know, uh, I've told you the Steve Brown story about, you know, I've heard preachers say all my, all my life that they were sinners, but you're the first one I've ever believed. Well, um, you know, I've said that again and again, you can believe me, but you can never with truth say he's an unbeliever. And God couldn't say that about me either. Flawed, inconsistent, <clears throat> minuscule, all that's true. But you could, not, you could not lump me in the class with a believer. Can you say that about yourself? Here I am. Okay, my number's up. What are you going to call me? You couldn't possibly call me an unbeliever. Because that wouldn't be the truth. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm all those flaws and all that business. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> but I'm a believer. That means you're a sheep. And all is well. One other thing and then I'm done. Guys, um... In theological circles, when you, when you get into the theological workbooks, here's how they deal with assurance. They tell you that there are three grounds of assurance. Three grounds of assurance. <clears throat> um, the first one is a changed life. I knew that. <clears throat> a changed life. <clears throat> okay? The second one is the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the third one is the promises. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm cursed. Um, uh, one, two, three. I did it three times. <laughs> Are the promises of God. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Um, in theological workbooks, those, they would tell you that those are the three grounds of assurance. Now, l- let me just tell you about those three things. There's one up there that's really the one that you need to concentrate on, and it ain't number one. Because a Mormon has a changed life. Now, I hope your life has been changed. And if it's not changed, then there's, you need to go back to square one. But... Mormons live oftentimes better lives than we do. Okay? So that's a good one, but it's not the best one. The inward testimony of the Holy Spirit, that's very subjective. And I hope that you have that. But, you know, you can come to church on some Sunday morning and feel like you've got the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit and it'd be an upset stomach. Um, so, but I hope you do get that. Here's the one, ladies and gentlemen, that is the one that, that you need to concentrate on. And let me tell you how you do this. You reason, um, how to spell sil- you, you reason syllogistically. Um, in a syllogism, you have a, 
A major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion. So you take these promises, ladies and gentlemen, and you reason syllogistically. You say the major premise is he who believes has eternal life. That's the major premise. That's based on a promise. He who who believes has eternal life. Then the minor premise is, I believe. Therefore, what is the conclusion? I have eternal life. Now, consequently, ladies and gentlemen, the promises that God has made you are of utmost importance in your pursuit of and maintenance of assurance. Let me close with this. I I read, no, I I didn't read it. I heard it. Um, A guy told a story about this guy who decided he was going to go through the Bible and he was going to count all the promises. Um, He was going to count every promise in the Bible. And he came up with 7,467. 7,467 promises. Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) That's an awfully high number. I've heard of other books and they've got like 400 in there. This guy I found, he says, 7,467. Okay? But let's, okay, let's, we'll dismiss him and we'll just say he's only half right. Which means that there are only 3,500 promises. Tell me this, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know 10% of them? Do you know 10 of them? Do you know five of them? Do you know three of them? then it is no wonder at all that you struggle with assurance. I just got up there and said, there's three grounds. <clears throat> the most reliable one is this. This is how you do it. And there's 3,500 of them available to you. And we don't know them. And we wonder why we struggle with assurance. That's why. The thing on which you hang your soul, ladies and gentlemen, is not the worship services at Grace Event on Sunday mornings. The thing on which you hang your souls are the promises of God to you that are more sure, more real, more reliable, more trustworthy than anything that's ever come out of my mouth. So, if you're struggling, this is where you need to start working. Let's quit. <clears throat> Our Father, uh, forgive us that we, uh, we whine and complain about how unstable are our souls and you've made 3,500 promises to us or thereabout and we have not taken the time or bothered to find out what they are. And so, Father, we struggle. And would you forgive us for our um, laissez-faire approach to your word and to truth? Uh, We are the um, 
We are the losers. We thank you for this book that we love, Father. But our love for it has not made us um, great students of it. Would you um, help us to change that? And, and starting tomorrow. And um, speak to us, Father. Through the book that the Holy Spirit wrote and illumines to our understanding. Might we, um, might we find the soul flourishing as we come face to face with the certainty of your promises made to us. We ask this, of course, in the name of the great promise keeper, Jesus Christ. Amen.